yeah. Welcome to Football and Other F-Words. I'm your host, Mr. Lebowski, joined today by producer, co-host, Zach Lyons, and to my left, Mike Miracles. We still don't know where Keith is. <laughs> well, we, we know that he joined <laughs> Disney on Ice, like he became a part of Disney on Ice, right? Isn't yeah. that where we, we left it last week? I think yeah, he, he now, was the third elf. I think he's now graduated to Frozen 2. Um, <laughs> all right, so we got some shit to get into today. We're, we're saucy. We've come in hot because uh, the Titans, uh, uh, d- d- to no one's surprise, of course, uh, to come out and shit the bed against Carolina. So we'll we'll discuss that. We're going to discuss uh, Deion Lewis, why he's on the field, Derek Henry usage. Uh, coaching staff. Some shit we're tired of hearing players tell the media. And, uh, yeah, we'll, the, you know, we'll preview the, the Chiefs game a little bit. My, my, <laughs> my plan of previewing the Chiefs game is going to be as following. I will be at the game. And that's it. I um, can't believe you've chosen this game. This is the game to make you return. All right. <laughs> I, I he, mean, he bought back in last week, and now, now he's being rewarded. I'll be one uh, of well, 13 Titans fans I'll there. be honest with you. Part of this is a pride thing. I sat in front of the microphone and triumphantly said I was going back to a game, and then I watched that shit on Sunday. So I don't have a fucking choice now. But um, let's let's go right into the the Panthers' loss, and I'm going to kind of meld the first topic of this into it, which was why are we using Dion fucking Lewis? He saw a hole. A hole. And it was a hole only just, a, he just saw it. And it was a hole that only a five foot seven, 180 pound dude could fit through. Well, I so. think it was possibly Emily Proud, one of the one of the multitude of reporters that we follow on Twitter tweeted out something towards the end of the game of I can't wait for this like post game press conference, something like that. And I put in quotations of we had a game plan, we executed it, we saw some things in practice. Like what did what have we seen? That warrants using Dion Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Like, what games were they watching? Because I watched the Panthers Tampa Bay game, which was the um, and and the Forty ers game, right? So I've watched both those games. The last two games the Panthers have played, and yes, I get that Tevin Coleman is a small esque, you know, running back, and Dion Lewis is small. The the um. Buccaneers did not use a small running back against them. Now they lost, but Jameis Winston was really shitty, you know, well, against them. But what are you seeing on tape that says Dion Lewis is the running back that I want to use to go in between the tackles or to really establish this offense? And, and the crazy thing is, it's not like I mean, because the thing with Tevin Coleman, Tevin Coleman can fucking fly. Like yeah. it, when you give him the ball, he's a chance. He has a chance to break it at any given play. Deion Lewis is not that. Deion Lewis is slow as fuck. Like, he is the slowest so, so small guy are, are I've you, ever seen. Are you finally coming around saying that Deion Lewis is not a weapon anymore? No, he's definitely not a weapon. All no. right. I mean, Man, we have, I have officially, this is the week, this is the game that really broke Mike on a lot of his stances, I feel I like. I mean, I wasn't like a hardcore no, Deion Lewis is awesome you, but guy. But you said that he brings value and he still, you still, he's still you felt. a better pass catcher than yeah. Derrick Henry. Well, yeah, you, I'll, I'll but you, you felt that like at the beginning of the year, you felt, 
I still have hope that there is the Patriots. That yeah. I still think the Patriots running back is in there somewhere. Well, because I mean, in 2017, he was legitimately like arguably the best running back in football yeah. in the last half of that year. You, so it's like, I mean, that guy exists. Do you think you, you know. confused him for Patriots running back Lawrence Maroney? No. Uh, no. Okay. No. I didn't know which Patriots running back no, you were Lawrence hoping he was Maroney was never even the best <laughs> running back in football. Deion Lewis was legitimately good at one point. And, and I think that's a valid. I think that's a valid thought process to have but he has been an absolute fucking non-factor the, the, the problem see this is why this is why i don't like to bail on guys like right away as soon as they have a bad game because look at malcolm <laughs> butler malcolm butler was shit for like three yeah. or four you know five games six games into his titans career and he's been really really good ever since then so like guys can get through humps and and succeed after having a bad start that's why i'm never gonna be the guy that's like one game in well, fucking Deion Lewis, worst running back I've ever seen. Wor- worst player in the league, just cut his ass. Get him out of here. Like, I, but I'm not but gonna... couldn't you have said that after 16 games last year? It's that not, he was it's pretty not shitty. A, I mean, he was bad. And, and I didn't come into this year. I was firm that it should be Derrick Henry most of the yeah. time. Like, I was never, oh, well, Deion Lewis is going to be awesome. It. I just, I mean, Deion Lewis does not need to be in the game at this point on, on almost any occasion besides you know maybe third and long because i mean people are like well it's very predictable when derrick henry's in the game is it is it is i I mean here's the thing is that to me it shouldn't be predictable maybe that the titans are making it very predictable because it seems like their whole offense it doesn't matter if you had 27 words in to call an offensive play like they had to say, you know, Spider 2, Y Banana, Ocean View Front, Villa, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I really like this play call. Yeah, but because it seems like the defense knows exactly what we're going to run no matter who is out on the field. Like, these opposing defenses these last few weeks seem to be just eating our lunch. Like, they must have went through practice with our team. What's, I mean, pre- what's predictable about Henry? That he's, he's going to break off one of four runs for like a 25-yard game? Well, oh, my, my thing God. Is play <laughs> action <laughs> pass should essentially work the best with Henry in there if you're not throwing him the you know ball. What's, you but know what's predictable with Lewis? <laughs> he's getting the ball he's more get, likely he's, yeah, he's out there. He's getting there. the ball. He's getting tackled for a loss. He's, he's going to start cutting and juking when he doesn't need to, and we're going to get a three-yard gain. And the whole fan base hates it. I yeah, mean, he doesn't make anybody miss but anymore. It does, That's the problem. It does seem like the defenses know what we're calling regardless of what I we're doing. I don't know about that. I you mean, don't? they had like I 450 mean, yards of offense in this game. Like, the ball moved. It's the yeah. fact that the pen, the offensive line couldn't stop committing fucking penalties. Deion Lewis fumbled the ball, and A.J. Brown let, let a ball hit him right in the hands and bounced what off. I, and I... I guess someone told me today, I haven't gone back and watched the film. Have you? Have you I guess all 22 is not out yet, right? Yeah, I haven't watched the but film. But someone said that Luke Keekley tipped that pass before it even got to AJ, but I don't. I didn't, I didn't see really that. see that live, so I was very surprised that someone said that. Either way, the ball hit him right square yeah. in the hands. You got to catch it, or at least don't tip it up to where the ball is likely going to be picked off by a Panthers yeah. defender. But, I mean, those three drives, back-to-back, those three came back-to-back-to-back. It was penalty Armageddon. Deion Lewis fumble, interception. And How many penalties the, did we walk away with this game? It was like 11 for 100-something yards. I, w- I could have sworn you, you could have told me 112, and I would most, have believed you. Most of them <laughs> were, were kind of concentrated yeah. in like a few areas. But anyways, like those three drives back-to-back-to-back, and the defense was holding, uh, the, holding the Panthers off early. I mean, the, finally, the interception, 
is followed by the Panthers kind of moving the ball down. The defense gets them to fourth and two, and they convert that fucking fourth and two to McCaffrey for the touchdown. And, and I mean, that sequence, like, from then on, the Panthers were already up 10 nothing at that point. From then on, the Titans and Panthers basically played to a stalemate the rest of the way. Obviously, the final score ended up being a 10-point game. But those three drives, those mistakes early, buried them in a hole that they never could dig themselves out of. And you just can't have that. It's not that the offense played horrible in this game. It was really, really bad mistakes. I actually think if you're, this is not the game to get out your pitchforks for Arthur Smith, frankly. I mean, besides having Deion Lewis in for a drive that he probably, you know, that it should have been for Henry, I don't know that Arthur Smith had a terrible game. The ball moved, the, the Titans moved up and down the field. It's just they committed horrific mistakes and individual mistakes. So, all right. Let's set aside the penalties for a second. And I do want to focus on the Deion Lewis thing for this, because at what point is it you're trying to execute your game plan and it's going to look like futility and it turns into, are you, why are you actively trying to row upstream? That's what the Deion Lewis thing feels like to me, but there was a, and I'm going to butcher this, but um, Mike Keith on the radio call, I guess it was sometime what in the second half, Derek Henry had the ball there was a series where Henry was supposed to come out and Lewis comes in and apparently he was waving Deion Lewis off the field. Like, dude, I'm, I'm in a roll. I'm going to keep going with this. Yeah. So like, I guess that's kind of my point is at what point is this coaching staff? At what point is Art Smith? Is it stubbornness? Is it, I'm trying to execute my game plan. What is it? Why, why does it seem like that we're just, Rowing up straight. Oh, and and uh, the reason I want to start off with this, because this is what I've heard from Vrabel and press conferences and stuff. It seems like their very first drive is, and typically I think this is the norm in most cases in the, across the NFL, that the first drive is pretty heavily scripted. Yeah, It seems like to me we have many drives that are heavily scripted, and it does not matter what happens in the game. We are not going off script. Like, they scripted for whatever reason Deion Lewis getting all these touches and they were going to do it no matter fucking what. I mean, that's just how I view it. You know, I just wanted to throw that out there before Mike speaks more intelligibly. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do think like, obviously for sure they're scripting early, early drives um, or the, at least probably the first, you know, 15 plays is kind of the, the standard, but you know, frankly, they haven't been able to stay on script hardly at all, I don't think, just because of the fact that they constantly are behind the chains for one reason or another, whether it's a sack or uh, a negative run for Derrick Henry or a penalty or for whatever reason, they're constantly behind the change, which is the biggest problem of the offense in general, in my opinion. Besides, I mean, obviously, Arthur Smith, game plans, play design, the route spacing, there's all kinds of issues, but the the result is that they are constantly behind the chains and they don't have the explosive passing offense to make up for that. So, you know, that's kind of the compounding effect, but yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly issues with the fact that all right, last week Tampa Bay best run defense in the NFL you're slamming the ball into the middle over and over and over again on first down, which you are basically inviting yourself to be in second and long, third and long, and behind the sticks and facing these these terrible situations that are begging for sacks and turnovers and bad bad stuff to happen. Third and you know eight plus 
is a problem. That nobody's good on third and eight plus. No offense looks good on third and eight plus. So you've got to avoid getting in that spot. But you know, then this week you've got the Panthers, and the knock on the Panthers is they had the worst run defense in the NFL, and they they come out and I don't necessarily mind we because we've been killing them all season of oh don't you come out and you run on first down every single time and you know all this I I don't mind them coming out and throwing some. You know, I, I thought there were some actually well-designed plays in that first half. It's just, you know, you get a penalty and then it's second and, you know, 15. And then you get another penalty and it's third and 19. And so what do you what do you call there? I mean, there, there's no good sure. play call. So you call yeah. a bus to get uh, Arthur Smith uh, vacated from the <laughs> position. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's I don't know. It, it's frustrating for sure, because I, I think the approach should have been to come out and establish Henry early and be intentional about it. They certainly could have done a better job of that. They did in the second half, and you saw how that worked. Um, but it, it's it's mind boggling yeah. to me that they refuse to treat our superstar players like the superstars that they are. And that's that's kind of why <laughs> I made the comment. And I know yeah. I know part of this is, you know, me being a lot more naive than Mike and Zach on the subject, but. To me, as a viewer, it looks like we that we the Titans are rowing upstream, and I don't understand it. Like it, in the what's more frustrating about it, and to kind of go a little bit more into the coaching staff here, is, and I've said this before that the cute, non-descriptive answers from coaching staff when you've won multiple Super Bowls and things are going well is is fine. You can get away with that, but. It's week after week after week of we need to learn from our mistakes. We had a look. It didn't execute. We see things in practice. We see things on film. It didn't plan out that way. We fumble the ball. We get penalties. I mean, at at what point does the coaching staff not turn around in the locker room and start getting in someone's ass? And more importantly, at what point is one of the players going to step up and say, you know what? Players meeting in the locker room. Shit doesn't have to get out to the media, but offensive line, you suck. You know, like Deion Lewis, don't go in the game if they call you in. I'm, I'm kidding. But, but I mean, in all seriousness, like someone needs to step up and address that. But starting with the coaching staff, like how long of a leash can this coaching staff possibly have from, say, John Robinson of not addressing these issues? I mean, I would assume that they are addressing the issues to some degree behind closed doors. I And I understand Brable doesn't want to necessarily air out all their dirty laundry in the media i mean and and that's fair press conferences are not typically i mean yes you can use that as a tactic to maybe publicly call out some guys and maybe that lights a fire and maybe he should try that at this point but i i don't think that that's the kind of coach that vrabel wants to be um I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, what, what something kind of needs to happen. What coach does he want to be? I, I mean, I like, think he what, wants what to be is... a player's coach. Like, I, yeah. I think he understands the player's mentality. He wants to, you know, be sensitive to their to where they're coming from, expect them to be professionals, do their job, and, you know, treat them like professional human beings. Who, who is the last successful player's coach? I mean, Mike Tomlin. So, he's, yeah. He's very successful. Okay. So that's the first person that comes to mind is Mike Tomlin. Yeah, and I'd say that, Pete Carroll is too. I mean, yeah, I, I could yeah. see that. Uh, yeah. Pete Carroll's very you know friendly, but that's two out of thirty-two things. Is is the players' coach kind of thing? Is that I mean because that's what Jeff Fisher was, right? And wasn't he the players' coach? And yes, yeah. he did have some success. But let's be honest, we're I think we're all I don't 
I've seen some people tweet it, but you know, I think we're all glad Jeff Fisher's gone. But like, I think that it's okay. It's okay to be a player's coach if you have the right staff. And I just don't think the staff is very good. And, no, and I, I think that's a major problem. And, and, and I yeah. think his comments this week were the closest to airing out a coach that you'll hear from him publicly. And I don't think this has been picked up on very heavily, but I do want to talk about it here. Yeah. The comment that he made when I think it was, I think it might've been Terry McCormick asked him, what is the common thread or is there any common denominator between the four first halves that they have failed to score a single point, which is ridiculous. Um, and he, you know, Vrabel, of course, the first thing, and and I get the frustration with some of Vrabel's press conference stuff because it is a little bit shitty sometimes the way he acts, and he's like, his first response is, "Oh, besides not scoring," and you know, it's kind of like, okay, we didn't need that, you know, that that we get it. You're frustrated that they're yeah, that this no, is a question, it, yeah, but like, exactly, your your team is the reason that this is a question. But regardless of that initial quip. He goes on to say and immediately goes to, well, there's there's examples of stuff where we are seeing looks from other teams and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but we're seeing look, looks from other teams that have showed that have worked against us before that were not on their previous game tape. So this is teams that are looking at the Titans and saying, OK, well, what the Bucks did here worked. We're going to use that. We're going to install this during the week and use that against them and see if they've fixed it because we want to we want to find that out. And what Vrabel has basically said in the press conference was that the Titans aren't doing a good job of fixing those issues and they are being burned on the same looks again and again. And that is a major coaching malfunction. And that, you know, players sure, you know, to some extent, if you're seeing the same thing, you know, maybe a player could step up and and make that change. But that's on the coaches. The coaches should be preparing them and giving them the tools to, when you see this look, this is how we have to handle it. And this is, or do we, we need to check into a different player. We need to call a timeout and get out of whatever we're doing. Uh, you know, whatever it is, you have to give the players that ammunition. And Rabel made it pretty clear in his comments that he didn't feel like his players were prepared for those situations despite the fact that they'd come up and been problems in previous weeks so what does Vrabel do then I I mean I'm asking Uh, honestly I mean what is I mean well okay if he's involved in the game plan and our game plans suck and I think it's a it's a level of detail thing I think it's you know Vrabel can be involved in the game plan and say all right so this is what this is big picture how I think we need to attack I, I don't think Vrabel's necessarily going we need to go through this look and fix this detail and and figure out how we're going to pass off this stunt. And he was talking specifically about stunts and games and the offensive line being able to handle those. And you know that's a Keith Carter thing. That's a Arthur Smith. But thing I mean, if me. you're this if you're this far in and you're off in your week nine or heading into week nine and stunts are are still a problem by week nine and you're the head coach. What's he doing? To yeah, fix I mean, it? is he, he just saying? Step in and is he just something. saying, uh, "Hey, uh, Keith, you know, I know, I know, I know, you're working really hard, but could you work a little bit harder for well, me?" So, like, what the fuck is he doing? I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't feel point, like we're getting anything in. out of Rabel at this point as a head coach that separates him from any of the other Malukes out there. Well, and that's where okay, so I'll I'll ask this question before I go forward because I want to I want to 
touch on what you just said, Zach. Um, I'm going to ask this question. I want you to answer me, not with what you want, but what realistically you think will actively happen. I'll start, I'll start with Mike. Mike, is Mike Vrabel the coach next year? I think so. I, I, I ultimately, and again, not, not necessarily saying this is what I want to have happen. I think Vrabel will sell Amy Adams strong on. We tried our best to make it work with Mariota. We did everything we could. We did the continuity thing. We promoted the guy that knew him better than anybody else in the league. And it just didn't work. And I need to, I need a new offensive staff. I need a new quarterback. The defense is good. Let me, let me put in a new offense. Let, let's see what it, let's see what it goes from there. And I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. I think they, they fire Arthur Smith at the end of the year. I think they bring in an entire new offensive staff, new quarterback gets drafted and they kind of reboot on the fly on offense, try to keep the defense as intact as possible. I'm, I'm glad you said that because, um, this is kind of how I feel things should go. And realistically, like what I think is going to happen. I actually, I'll defend Vrabel here and say that um, I think it's 100% the wrong move to get rid of. I I absolutely do. I do because we're only in year two. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of you've got to give a coach some time to figure it out. I think the head coach position should have a lot more leeway than obviously position coaches, offensive and defensive coordinator, because offensive coordinators we can replace. But a head coach is the foundation of all of it. And a head coach is one of going to come in and install their own staff, right? So if you rip Vrabel, you're now talking about possibly replacing the whole thing. And realistically, and I'm actually asking you and Zach both of this, Mike, um, you replace, let's say you land the head coach you want. You can name any name you want. What is realistically that you're going to put together a pretty damn good all-star staff under that depends on the coach. Yeah. I think in the problem, the problem with a lot of it is, you know, these guys that, that are floating around out there to hire, you know, some of them have good connections across the league where they could pull good coaches and stuff like that. But, you know, if you're trying to bring in like some hot shot young guy, like, I mean, basically we did with Vrabel part of the problem with hiring those coaches is they have a, don't have a deep bench of guys that they already know are good coaches and trust them and and that would come along for the ride. Yeah, that's the point I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, you would have to go, and we've talked about this, yeah, Lincoln Riley is all all cool and everything, right? I mean, that's the hot name. But then you're looking at a staff, because I really don't know anybody on Cliff Kingsbury's staff, and he's from the same air raid offense tree that – Lincoln's from so he's already pulled uh, together a staff who's Lincoln Riley gonna pull I think the LSU defensive coordinator was probably I think someone they've crossed paths which is good but I mean you got to think of all the different levels so I mean if you could get a a coaching staff with Lincoln Riley and Dave Aranda I think I think you jump all over that but what was great about getting someone like Sean McVay is that he somehow landed Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator well, like, he had he had some deep roots in the league. Too. Yeah, that's the thing. He'd been in coaching forever. I think his his dad was a coach, I believe. Yeah, um, he was he happened to be on a staff uh, with Mike Shanahan and those like, uh, you know, Redskins and that RG three. But you got to have you can't you can't bring incredible in two group of coaches. You can't bring in two. You can't bring in a rookie head coach like Lincoln Riley and. The defensive coordinator of the L. His name Dave Aranda. Yeah, you can't bring them both in 
at the same time because that's too technically uh, to me depend on what your head coach's affiliation is offense or defense that you're the head of the offense head of defense and you're both rookies you want that to work out like that's what I'm saying McVay had a great benefit well, it, of having someone that's been a head coach on the staff like Wade Phillips and he's a great defensive coordinator you know to me Jay Gruden is the guy to get like as offensive it, coordinator or as a head coach if you're going head coach and blowing everything up which I am very 50-50 on it like I see what you're saying about Vrabel but he's regressed tremendously from him from a rookie and he's taken up now a playoff team that went 9 and 7 to now another 9 and 7 season now we're staring down like you know 5 and 11 you know <laughs> 6 and 10 he's regressed tremendously and you can he, he, so whoever's move it was cuz we really assume that J Robin Vrabel made the decision to get Arthur Smith hired together right i would imagine so so i would say they both would have had input yeah so you know it it was his decision and his in-game decision making skills have already been questioned and now his staff making skills are in question i I don't have the confidence that Vrabel can put together an offensive but see that's that's i mean and, and this is why i'll argue for Vrabel because in year two i i think regardless of what the record was the previous year playoff team I think you're allowed to have a year where you 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 screw up a staff decision. It happens. I, I've got an example in my personal career where I vetted and interviewed a guy for a, a big partner of mine, and he turned out to be a total disaster. Literally on the way over here to record this podcast, I was on the phone kind of dealing with the fallout of that. But that silly example aside, I, I think he's allowed to have that mistake. But... I want to see what the change is in year three, and it's, it's got to be the correct move. It's a big risk to me just because here's kind of how we've always done things, it feels like, for the Titans, is that we get a coach. We have, okay, we get a coach. We then get a quarterback, right? So Wizen Hunt was a year without Marcus, then he gets Marcus, and then we fire Wizen Hunt halfway through, then we have Malarkey, and then we switch this, and then we decide Malarkey's whole staff is trash. So we get rid of all of them, but before getting rid of them, we saddle J-Rob with Malarkey. It's, it seems like we've never had everything happen at once, right? Well, and that's where, here's, here's why I'll defend where you're going with that. Yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but this is why I am cutting you off, because... What you were seeing, and correct me if I'm wrong, what you were seeing was kind of what we hope was the end of the dysfunction with the Titans' um, ownership from the death of Bud Adams to the whole Tommy Smith debacle into Amy kind of taking over and deciding that she wanted to run things a certain way. So you see Wiz and Hunt get fired pretty much because he was getting Mariota killed. Um, and then... I, th- I think some of that weird transition we went through was Amy wanting to kind of set herself up with the person she chose in Robinson and all that and blah, 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 which is again, why I'm arguing why Vrabel should absolutely be given a year three allowed to hire an actual offensive coordinator. Well, to be honest, if we're in this position next year, I would be fine with firing all of them. Well, I, I mean, would be fine it, with firing the problem a head is, coach and an offensive coordinator in the middle of the damn season. Well, then you, uh, <laughs> but then we start all over again with the quarterback that doesn't have everything consistent wise. Yeah. Like that's my, that is one of my major concerns. We're essentially gonna have, I would assume, 
that we are going to draft a quarterback. I mean, I would just think that that is completely yeah. on the table. And bringing Vrabel to do that and having him assemble another offensive staff, I mean, this can't be a thing where we fire everybody again. And and in that after that guy's rookie year, Noted. it's just sure. It, but it's a tricky situation keeping Vrabel. Now, if he, I just don't, I don't have faith in him to put together an offensive staff. I think that's really what it comes down to—a long-term fix for the, the offensive staff. Yeah, I mean, you're right about the quarterback thing because that's that's what complicates this whole thing. It if does. they had a veteran quarterback, or if they were kind of like in a different situation at the quarterback spot, maybe you know, I, th- I think you would absolutely see a third year that. The thing is that if you get to the end of this year and you're like wavering on Vrabel and if you're John Robinson, you're going, all right, I don't know about this guy and, and you know, where this is headed, you know, you really don't want to put yourself in that spot where you draft a quarterback, he learns under Vrabel, then you blow it up again. And now you're all of a sudden starting that same like Mariota, you know, rotation of new quarterback, you know, replaces a replaces a coordinator, learns a new system, you know, that that whole cycle that we've been stuck in, but the the other thing and, and to your point, Lebowski is you know, constantly rotating and changing the guard at coach which we if we were to fire Vrabel after this season, it would be the fourth coach that we fired in the last 6 years. And here's the thing that is a problem. And here's the thing we're assuming to a point you made earlier, I think it was earlier today Mike on Twitter, which was look, Titans fans may not want to hear this, but how desirable is this market to come to? Not Nashville's not a desirable city. It's great, yeah. But as far as an NFL market and your system and how you want to do and plus we also don't understand the tangibles that go on behind the scenes of what are these coaches hearing when they sit down and, and interview with ownership and leadership? Is it something that's desirable? Or are they hearing something that raises red flags? So we can guess on that all day, but what I want fans to understand is that let's assume at the end of the season that we're cleaning out along with Vrabel. You're assuming that Lincoln Riley, you're assuming that these coaches that we're naming are automatically going to say yes. And that's the problem I'm thinking is that, if we end up starting over and we're starting over with the B squad, shit fucking sucks. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> do, you, do you think you can get Jay Gruden as an OC? I mean, it depends. It all depends on if he can get a head coaching job. I, I think he'll take an offensive coordinator job if he can't get a head coach job. But I don't know. I honestly think he'll probably get a head coach job right away. I mean, I, yes, he struggled in Washington to some degree here lately, but I mean, what was he given to work with there? Yeah, I mean, not, not a lot. A total disaster. Washington, and Washington is still, that's a, I'm serious. That's a podcast I still want to do and, talking about Dan Snyder. And, and I, I don't know how big a part he played in the whole situation with Trent Williams or if he knew about all that. And, you know, that all cloud stuff for me, too. Well, he didn't like, even know they signed Landon Collins, so I <laughs> doubt he knows any Because yeah. th- this it was, it's Bruce, Bruce Allen, Allen yeah. and Dan Snyder are just... They just they're just shit up. They're yeah. just in a bunker somewhere, just hunkered down and having tea parties and deciding what's going to happen <laughs> for the Redskins this week. I, all right. I think if you could get Jay Gruden as the offensive coordinator, that's a slam dunk. Like, you, you get and him he could and be, partner him he, with, with it, Vrabel, and that's good. If key, and keeping Vrabel which I think is like 90% going to happen. Don't get me wrong. Unless this defense trails off these last few weeks into an utter disaster of a dumpster fire because 
th- then we're going to have some issues with Vrabel. But I think that he stays. He, you have to clean out the entire offensive staff. I mean, we're we're in you, agreement. You have that, to. We're in agreement that there's no way Art Smith saves his job. Right? I, I don't think no, I not, not a. I can't I, see how it. Happens. I'm sorry for Professor X, Sean O'Hare, uh, uh, Sean O'Hara, but you, you, <laughs> Pat O'Hara. Yeah, Pat O'Hara. <laughs> sorry, I keep getting him in the uh, that Giants offensive lineman. Uh, yeah. You got everybody's got to go. Uh, Rob Moore's got to go. Um, Tony Dews has got to go. And, and I like what some of those guys have done. I, but I don't you got to let everybody... the offensive coordinator yeah. come in and be the off. He needs to be, if you're going to keep Vrabel, the offensive coordinator needs to be the offensive head coach. Yeah, he needs he does to be not in need, charge from he top does to not, He needs to be able to tell Vrabel to get the fuck out of my room <laughs> and and I can handle it. Well, but he's got to be so, someone that's experienced. So, so what it, we need is Todd Haley. He'll tell hey, people to get the fuck out of I'm his room. All, I was all about some Todd Haley last year during an offensive coordinator search. He's, and he's got a lot of baggage, but I will say he's the kind of guy that you could get and he'd probably stick around for a while because nobody in their right mind is going right. to hire him as head coach. Well, I mean, look at Daryl Bevel. I mean, he's... The where's he at now? Uh, Detroit. Detroit, and he's totally made that offense look really, really good. Yeah, he's he's never going to get a head coaching job. Hey, maybe there's uh, a lot maybe of those Patricia guys. Patricia gets fired, and we can grab Bevel. There you, you go. Never know. There's a lot of coaches out there uh, that are offensive coordinators over the years have that have interviewed for head coaching jobs and never gotten them. Get those guys because they're not going to. They do something wrong in their head coaching interview that they're never going to get a job, and they're good. I mean. Daryl Bevel is a pretty – he plays to the strengths of his quarterback. I I just don't understand – again, it goes back to the strengths of, strength of your offense. Derrick Henry, Corey Davis, A.J. Brown should constantly be involved in this offense, and it seems like at, at even, any given time, they're not all on the field at the same time for so whatever reason. Let's let's move to this because I know Zach's ready to go buck wild on this, and I am too, honestly. Taylor one. Taylor Wan stands in front of the microphone this week in the locker room after that lovely loss and says basically a combination of the following. We got to do better. If I was a fan, I would be pissed too. And then he made a comment about how we showed up with low energy or he showed up with low energy or blah, blah, blah. So yeah, just, I, I am really personally incredibly tired of hearing anyone on this Titans team say anything along the lines of, if I was a fan, I'd be mad too. Dude, all you got to do is look in the stands at any home game and know how the fans feel about you as a team. Fair or not? Because any player that's on that field at any given time may be thinking some form of the combination of, I'm not responsible for the failings of this franchise for the last 15 and 20 years. Well, you know what? The fans that are not sitting in those stands are definitely reflective of the way this organization is playing football. But for Taylor Lewan to show up and say anything that revolves around we showed up with low energy, I mean, dude, you had four games off. And you had four games off for PEDs. I don't give a shit what it was for. Recovery, stamina, bigger balls, it must whatever. Have been, it must have been for stamina because he <clears throat> sure looks like he's getting beat by a uh, second string uh Defensive end constantly. Well, so to back that up, and I think this was—I I was actually—let's—let's I mean, let's be honest here. It was definitely PEDs. I mean, can we all just kind of <laughs> say that Probably. whatever he was taking I, improved his game? I'm willing. Whether to he s- knew about it or not, or whatever. But whatever he was taking worked because it ain't working now. <laughs> so, 
I, th- I was actually a little stunned to hear this today on Midday 180, uh, the interview with Eddie George. I don't know if you two heard this, but, um, and again, I'm paraphrasing, Eddie George commenting on Taylor Lewan said that, uh, basically, what was it? He's not a leader in the locker room. And he's and nobody, not respected around the league. He's not respected around the league. I mean, just came right out and broadsided with him. And I love to hear that from Eddie George because you want to talk about Mr. Titan. If you ask any Tennessee Titans fan from 2004 on, <clears throat> they're probably going to name Eddie George if you bring up the Tennessee Titans. So I I don't think I want to hear another damn thing from Taylor Wong the rest of this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's frustrating. Like, I think Lawan, I don't think he's meant to be a leader. I mean, he, he's the class clown, you know, that's the thing. And like that shit isn't cute anymore at this point. And we, you know, we've talked about it before and, and I've grown tired of it. You know, last year, uh, was, yeah, I think it was last year when I was out at camp and he pulled the whole, like he flopped on the ground, like a baby after a, oh, yeah. a hit. And, you know, Keith Carter was like jumping off in his ass over it and stuff like that. That stuff is and not. And I forgot about that. Yeah, and it's like right after, right after, right before he got paid to, and it's like that kind of stuff. You know, it's little things, and it's you know not a huge deal, but it all adds up to a guy that he he's more worried about being like the funny guy than he is worried about you know being serious and about his business and that kind of thing. And I you know I don't know if that extends to the the offensive line room and the meeting rooms and all that stuff but you know i i you have to assume it does it looks like it does he's more worried about being a bro than being a pro there you go. i just thought that <laughs> just thought of that but yeah, i mean nice tagline but i mean it, it's true because he'd much rather be the guy that you get to go party with and the social media guy and this and that and look i'm gonna say some stuff if you like Taylor Lewan, that's fine. I'm sure he's a great person and all that stuff. I don't know him personally, okay? I, I can only vouch for this. The last year and a half, I've spent time arguing to him, blue in the face, that Taylor Lewan is the face of this franchise. I I could care less if fucking Taylor Lewan's on this team tomorrow. If someone said, oh, he got cut, I really wouldn't give a shit because I'm sick of it. I I I think he's flippant. I don't I don't think he's very authentic. I just there's something about him the this last you know when he got busted and it's hard to get busted. Like there's like what 1700 players at any given point in the league or something like that and we're talking that probably 20 a year get but like 10%, maybe even less get busted. For, I think it's oh, actually like 1% gets busted. I was going to say, it's probably close to the 1%. Yeah, 1% get busted. You're told 30 days in advance you're going to get drug t- tested. They send it to you. You knew that you were taking 29, P- 29 subs- or supplements, Which is but ridiculous. you only registered 25, and then it just all doesn't add up. Yeah. I, I, You know, if he truly did not know, but ever since then... I just have a hard time. I've had. I'm out on Taylor Lewan. And, and I, I am a. I am out. He he does not look the same. Just hap- so happens that he's not. <laughs> you know, he got busted for PDs, and now he's not looking the same. That could be total and utter coincidence. But give me a fucking break that you, he's not dedicated to his craft. 
That's that's what I feel like. He's not dedicated to the game. He's not dedicated to the team. He's dedicated to himself, dedicated to his brand. All well and good, but he's you're right, Mike. Maybe we're expecting too much of Taylor. And you know, well, the, with that with that contract comes that responsibility. Right. You know that that's, that's the exactly thing. what I was just about to say. Was you know, but we paid him, so he needs to live up to that contract, and he's not doing it. Uh, and and there's what six offensive linemen, seven offensive linemen on this team at a given time in the thing. If he's not really caring, and if he's not holding anybody accountable, they're looking at him saying, "Well, well, shit, old money bags over there doesn't care, you know." And he just got paid, you know. I could probably just kind of get by and skate by. Yeah, I I think there's a lack of leadership with the offense in general. I, I think you've seen Derrick Henry maybe do a little bit more here recently. Um, I think AJ Brown will eventually be that guy. I think he's a you know guy that you know, despite some of the mistakes and stuff like that that he's made, it you know, as a rookie. I think he's a guy that clearly puts in a lot of work. Like you see it, you see him putting in a lot of work. He cares about it. I think he wants to be great. You know, I think that kind of stuff will end up going a long way in his career. Um, but the Titans need more of those guys and they need more of those guys at critical positions. And and I want to talk about some, I'm very disappointed in Delaney Walker and I don't care about his on field play, but you know, back in 2017, before we made the playoff run, when they were getting tired of malarkey, he came out and said stuff about the staff. Him and Rashard did towards the end of that year. And then they suddenly clicked, and then, you know, they got it back on track. Now he just wants to be a little, you know, whiny little bitch. And all he wants to do is complain. He got all but hurt that, you know, uh, we were talking about drafting tight ends and blah, 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 blah. Well, it looks like to me a damn good time that we could have probably drafted a really damn good tight end because we needed one because he's just sitting there. And then anytime he's asked questions, well, you're just going to have to ask the coaches. So what happened to his leadership that I thought we had? Like, it's just like he's kind of, I don't know what's going on, but first Richard, now Delaney, Taylor's, there's, there's no control. Of, there's a lot of frustration on that side of the yeah, ball. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, I really expected Delaney to try to do something, especially with his comments earlier in the year, and we thought there was some real good weight, and he had some real comments that, still hold true because you hear other stuff that come out, but nothing happens. Nothing came from it. It's just a lot of smoke up our ass. I feel like I think that, you know, he just likes to complain and you know, there's someone else that just wants to complain, but not fix anything. Like you eventually have to fix something and someone has to fix this offense. And I well, don't know who it is. Who is this, it? <laughs> and this is where I'm, I'm going to say something that's a little controversial, but, this is where I actually feel a little bad for the Mariota stands out there. Why I feel a little bad for the Mariota Twitter defenders out there is because the only thing that this team has really pointed to of changing things on offense is, well, we bench Mariota and we put in Tannehill. Nothing else has seemed to change. Nothing. We 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 are, are generally a better offense. And that's where, yeah. and, and again, like, I'm but not, there is so much more <laughs> that needs to be changed on this team. And, and we've all said that. I'm not trying to yeah. put rationale or oh, fuel yeah. the fire behind people defending Mariota. I, I'm really tired of hearing people say, well, oh, you said Mariota's a problem. Now you benched him and the offense is any better. Well, okay. Well, dude, he literally couldn't complete basic passes, but, and we always said there is more to it. And right. there is. No, it's it's a multifaceted, complicated problem. But in their defense, this team, this organization, the coaches, even the players to some extent in their interviews and their play on the field is the only thing they want to point to is, 
Well, we, we, we replaced the quarterback and it's like, I've got to see more change. And, and this is why it leads into the broader theme of, and I know I have to be positive, but well, no, no, this one, we could just burn it down, but this is why I'm getting very tired of having this conversation year over year, over and over. So what, what are we doing? You know, anyways, um, it's, it's, it's disheartening. I, I don't care about this team right now. Like there's really nothing that gets me excited. I have zero faith that we're going to win any games the rest of the year. Like I'm just, you know, I am, they have, I was talking to Mike off, off, off Mike. I was talking to Mike off Mike <laughs> and see you, Mike. Oh, see you, Mike. <laughs> and I was talking to him and I said, um, I just, what's there, what is there to cling on to? I know that there are good players on this team, but there's, we don't get to see them be good players because this staff is holding them back. I've felt I've been I've been all over the map with this team. This team has taken me through so many stages of relationship, happiness, grief. I've been I've been through it all with this team more so than any other season because this Munchak years you knew is gonna be boring, shitty football. The Fisher years, you knew what to expect. And this team, just you never know what to expect. And, and, and the people that say, well, we'll come out and we'll beat, you know, the Chiefs because that's just what the Titans do. That's not what the Titans do this year. You think that's what they do because they win, lose a game, win a game, lose a game, win a game. But they're losing the games they're supposed to lose to to better teams, and they're winning the games that they're supposed to win against bad teams. Well, the problem, the problem <laughs> so is, is that to – get a little off topic here. What was frustrating, what's frustrating to remember the Fisher years is because at least in the Fisher years, as frustrating as those games were to watch, you felt like most of those squads could get to the playoffs and win a couple of games. Yeah. I don't feel like this team, let's say this team falls ass backwards in the playoffs some ungodly way. I don't see this team winning a first round playoff game. I don't see this team going into any hostile environment and playing well. Hell, I don't see this team hosting a playoff game and playing well. It, it That's where, and like you said, you've been through all the emotions. I've been through all the emotions too. And this is the part that bothers me and scares me as a Titans fan. I'm starting to experience the last emotion, which is apathy. I'm oh, starting I'm, not to I give a apathetic. shit. I'm I'd starting not re- to give a shit. <laughs> Listen, I, was, I watched the Carolina game. I was out there on the porch watching it, but... You know, as soon as it was, it, it was over, Lauren goes, uh, "Did y'all win?" No. Yeah, no. Yeah. And I just—I mean, it, it was—it wasn't. I'm not gonna listen. If they're not gonna invest any emotion, any emotion into themselves, I'm gonna quit investing emotion. Well, and and look, I'm excited about going to the Chiefs game this weekend. But do you know why? Because there's the a good, white giant white claws. Yeah, there's a good tailgate. <laughs> there's gonna be giant white claws. Yeah. I, I'm I'm going to you know see uh, hopefully a very electric player in Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I'm a Titans fan, and I hope they win. But if they don't, I'm starting to take the same attitude of the Titans that I do with Old Miss. People like to try to rib me about Old Miss losing. And I just don't care because I don't expect them to win. You know, a few years ago when Old Miss started getting sanctions and shit put on them, they like, oh, I told you. told you you were cheating. Of course they were cheating. <laughs> There's no fucking way Old Miss just suddenly became good out of yeah. their own, like, hard work. We all knew they were cheating. I think I made this comment on the radio about how 
I mean, yes, everybody else is cheating, but they're doing 75 and a 70 going on the interstate. Yeah. Old Miss was doing 120 in a school zone, <laughs> firing AKs out the window. But anyways, I'm I'm getting that way with the Titans. I I, I this game I'm I'm just I'm done. Like I'm I'm going just for the spectacle of going to a tailgate and drinking and going to a football game. I don't expect the Titans to win, and and frankly, I'm starting to not care. And I understand. Okay, you fire Art Smith. You you bring it. You promote Pat or you promote Todd Downing. I don't know. Fucking do it just so we know that it's done. <laughs> like, just put us out of our misery. Like, well, and that's just fucking go ahead and fire Art. Who cares about when the bye week is? It may not change anything on offense, but my God, it it you know, just give us some kind of relief. Well, and that's why it, it frustrates me to hear those in the media, and and I'm I'm saying this out of a position of respect because I do respect their opinion and I believe what they're saying is one hundred percent correct. But it's frustrating as a fan to hear midday to hear most of the Titans reporters basically completely dismiss the idea of. Art Smith is not getting fired during the season. You can just forget about that. I, I, I have to, I have to ask the question: Why? Like, what? What is the purpose of this at this point of waiting till the end of the season to get rid of the guy? It's just, it's. I mean, I get it. I mean, I really do. It's not going to accomplish anything. Of course, and it's no, too late. Right. I mean, this, Let's this look should at have it from been a rational. Yeah, standpoint, right? I mean, this should have already been done. But really, don't you? I mean, maybe they don't owe it to the fans or anything, but I mean, we kind of deserve our Smith getting fired. Like, <laughs> you put us through hell. You have put us through that's literal a, hell. That's a great point. <laughs> like, like I need this. We we need this. We we need. I don't know, man. We just need something. Like the Marcus thing was wasn't going to solve everything. We knew that, right? Firing Art is probably not going to solve something, but didn't it feel so much better when Marcus got benched? I mean, and well, Tannehill took over because sure. we're seeing we are seeing competent quarterback play. We we are seeing that. We're, our game plans and our coaching has just brought this team down. And PK uh, put out a I think it was that Sunday this past Sunday, uh, an article talking about taking a defibrillator to the, the team. Yeah. Maybe that's the shock to the system. I don't know. Something needs to happen if you want to salvage this because I can see this completely going off the rails the rest of the season. I I really do have this ominous feeling that shit's going to get really bad. Well, and I, I look at the team right now of a kitchen with multiple appliances that are not working. The dishwasher doesn't work. The sink doesn't work. The garbage disposal doesn't work. The trash compactor doesn't work. But the most important part that you had to replace the quarterback was the stove. So you replace the stove, and at least the stove is working. And what drives me nuts about Mariota fans are like, well, just put Mariota back in there because if the rest of the offense is okay, so we're just going to go dig the shitty broken stove back out of the trash and put it back in the kitchen just because everything else is not working. Like, that's not rational. And so here's kind of the point I'm trying to make is that what? <laughs> I'm broken. I, I mean, it's this broken. team has just, you know, I came in, I was all fired up, and then I get here, and then I just, <laughs> it's just like all the anger is just too it. much. I can't do it. No, it's just, I um, I just don't know that I care. It, it's, it's, a, but here's the shitty sad. part. This is the point I was going to make is that anytime a team has a bad preseason, we all say the same thing. 
doesn't matter. It's the preseason, yeah. right? They're just trying to get their game plan together, blah, blah, blah. How many teams have we watched go undefeated in the preseason and then have like a 5-10 and ten season or go completely lose every preseason game and then they go undefeated yeah. or something? Then the Patriots do that? Didn't the they Colts, lose every? I think the Colts have, under Peyton Manning, have lost – a shit ton. I think his preseason record is probably one of the worst preseason records of all but time. But this is what I want to do, and I think I may actually do this tonight before I go to bed, is go back and read um, the after after game, after action reports for all the preseason games. The Titans preseason laid it out 100% yep. of all the problems that we were going to experience so far this season. Terrible O-line play. Terrible you know, pocket presence from both quarterbacks. An offense that's not clicking. A game plan that's not clicking. Like, maybe I'm remembering with rose colored glasses now, but I really do want to go back and read it because I remember those four preseason games being pretty fucking miserable yeah. and only bit the, the offense would jump and start and things would work for just a couple of minutes yep. and then they wouldn't. That's depressing. <laughs> and, and, and the offense still did that under Tannehill who <clears throat> looked good yes. in the preseason, Yes, exactly. but they still had those problems. And you know, here's my thing. <laughs> we, we fucking, just had the best luck right before the regular season started. The Texans offensive line was in disarray. Uh, they lost Lamar Miller. Uh, Andrew Luck fucking retires. <laughs> he retires. And then you have um, the Jaguars who lost Nick Foles week one. And I mean, just utter disarray all around the AFC South. And we are now the most dysfunctional team in AFC South, in yeah. my mind. No, and it's, it's... It's plain as day. We have the worst... Uh, well, Nick Foles is starting, yeah. so we may not have the worst quarterback anymore. But I think we have one of the worst offenses in the AFC South. I know our defense is great, but I don't think it can stop any of these offenses at this point to a degree that we can win a game and our offense can win a game. I, I don't know. I don't even know about this fucking team. I hate this fucking team. No, <laughs> like, listen, I it. I hate I, them. I, I hate to say it. I... I, was I am of, a Seahawks fan the rest of this the was, rest of this season. I was thinking on the way over here of, and I couldn't think their names off the top of my head. I'm not going to be able to remember them now. But there was two people specifically on Twitter that I know that I pretty much led a brigade against. Of I can't believe you would make this preseason prediction of the Titans finishing last in the AFC South and finishing oh, with I, a record. I, Sub five hundred. I know and, there's people waiting for them. No, to be there here. absolutely <laughs> they're is. There waiting was one, to like. I, I remember one specifically. Me. It was a. It was a, a young lady who writes like a fantasy football blog, and she, I think she's from Chicago, and she had picked the Titans to finish last in the AFC South. Oh yeah, I remember the, that yes. one. That was the one that people went really sexist. That's against yeah. Well, there was that yeah. whole that was terrible, but I, it makes me literally want to dig up the tweet and just apologize to her because. She may have saw something that we didn't see. Maybe she was looking at the at the preseason games like we should have been looking yeah. at them. But but anywho, it's just like the point of this whole fucking diatribe is that I'm just I'm tired of hearing multiple levels of bullshit excuses from everything from the players to the coaching staff and things not getting changed. You know, when if you if you I'm sure everybody listening to this has a job, careers you like. You can make big mistakes at work. It happens to most people. But if you continue to have problems performing, at some point, your employers do not want to hear, I'm going to fix it and make it better. At some point, you have to produce or you're out. <laughs> and that's kind of, that's that's where we are as fans, is that 
I'm tired of hearing season over season over season of a different, it, it, it's the same coaches saying the same thing, or I should say it's different coaches saying the same different version of, of the same damn message. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. I mean, how do these media members do it? Like, it, it's exhausting for me to put forth the energy to put forth, to record this one podcast, right? We record one podcast a week. There are guys that have to come in and fill three hours of radio talk with this or do two radio shows a day and then tweet all day and then write articles. I would be, I don't know, like, can you sue the Titans for <laughs> for them having to put you through this I, emotional I, distress? I'll tell you this. I tuned in <laughs> like, like a masochist. I tuned in for the last hour of Wake Up Zone on Monday. And I, actually, I think I caught the last break before they went into the last hour. Now, I forgot who the guest was on, but they asked if he was going to be on the next segment or blah, blah, blah. And Mark Howard said something that actually made me laugh. I couldn't believe it. He goes, you may, it may just be dead air <laughs> the next time <laughs> we do this because I'm kind of running out of things to, to say about this team. So I, I've, I've gotten the same way, and I hate to say that I've gotten apathetic, but I, I am. I'm at the point now where I don't give a shit, and that's a problem. At the... Even if for whatever stupid reason we beat the Chiefs, fuck this team. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> fuck you for doing that to us. Lose this game for your fans. I mean, honestly, quit dragging us along because you know what's going to happen is that Taylor is going to say, well, we really fixed things, and then they're going to come out and fall flat on their face the fucking next week, and we're going to get, yeah, if I was a fan, I'd be really pissed off if I were you guys. It's it's just going to happen the same thing. I, the same thing's going to happen. I Lose would, this fucking game for me. I would rather every game. single person involved with this team use their media availability to say, I have no comment. Or just, or just say, I'm sorry. I apologize. Or just, just, <laughs> or just tell us the truth. Yeah. Just look right in the camera and say, I don't give a shit. I yeah. didn't want to play today. I suck. Yeah. I'm just not very good. I don't <laughs> know why I got picked. I'm just, you know, I'm um, sorry, but you know, that tricked your GM into thinking I was some all-pro left tackle, but, you know. We were going to preview the Chiefs game, but I'm not going to. I won't yeah. talk about it. I just want to lose. I just Like, I, I literally don't. I know this sounds counterintuitive to Titans fandom, and you should always root for your team to win, and I even said it's not good for the locker room. I, I don't even, they don't care. The locker room doesn't care, I don't think, any more than we should have to care. I am done being emotionally vested in this team I'm, because I don't feel this offense is not emotionally vested. I want them to win. I don't expect them to win, and I'm not going to be surprised when they don't win. I agree with you that I don't think the locker room cares because we've not been given any kind of indication <laughs> that otherwise, but I'm just going to go to the game and, and, and enjoy myself being at an NFL game and I, I, if it gets out of hand, I may I, leave. I want Patrick Mahomes to play because I, you know, I want to watch I wanna, him. I, I want to be able to yeah, see Patrick no, Mahomes in person. I want to see Patrick Mahomes in person. I do too. I, that's why I want to see him play. Um, so yeah, we're not going to talk about the Chiefs game. We're not going to preview it for you. Sorry about that. Um, what we are going to do is wrap this shit up. Let's do it. Um, you have been listening to Football and Other F Words. You can find us on anywhere you typically find your podcast. We really appreciate you listening. You could rate and subscribe, and please share your family and friends. If you enjoyed listening to us, if you can put up with our vulgarity, share it with your buddies. Um, for Mike Miracles, who decided to leave early, Zach Lyons, I am your host, Mr. Lebowski, and you have been up. To-